Welcome to Words Matter with Katie Barlow and Joe Lockhart. Welcome to Words Matter. I'm Katie Barlow. Our goal is to promote objective reality. As a wise man once said, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, not their own facts. Words have power and words have consequences. Welcome to a special edition of Words Matter about the legacy of outgoing White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders. So before we jump in, Joe, President Trump announced last Thursday that Sarah Sanders would be leaving at the end of the month. Explain to our listeners why we waited until now to talk about it. Well, one of the things this president does, and, you know, all White Houses do it, but they do it more than most, is on a day where they've got bad news, they try to make an announcement to say, hey, look over here. I suspect the Sarah news was in the pipeline. It wasn't ready. But when the Office of Special Counsel said that Kellyanne Conway should be fired, it was like, well, let's throw something else out there. I think we try to be in the business of sticking on what's important, not on what Trump's latest shiny object is. I knew we could come back to this at any point. So that's really the reason. And last Thursday, just hours after the announcement, you wrote a column for CNN with the title, quote, Sarah Sanders failed in almost every aspect of the job. And besides ending the daily press briefings, how did she do the job differently than her predecessors? Well, actually, let me surprise you and start with something she did well, which is one of the criteria is having a good relationship with the president and under having access to the president, having the trust of the president. And she certainly had that. I said almost every aspect. That's that that, that was a positive for her. I want to stay on the daily briefings for a second. Ending those was of critical importance. And if you talk to White House reporters, they'll tell you that even if they've become somewhat of kabuki theater, just surfacing the questions and just for the public to see, here are the things that we think the leader of the free world should be held accountable for. Even if they choose not to answer or deflect or lie, a lie is a lie isn't true. A lie that's recorded on camera for history is much more important a lie than, you know, something you're just saying in a hallway. It was an important and really damaging decision to end the White House briefings under Sarah's tenure. Second aspect, the job revolves around the issue of trust. It's this really unique place, a job in the White House, where you work for two people. You work for the president, you work for the press, and you're an advocate for the press. And you've got to retain the trust of both sides. Neither side trusts the other. The press doesn't trust what the president's saying. The president doesn't trust what the press is writing and putting on TV and radio. The press secretary sits in the middle. And you just are useless to both sides when one or both sides decide they don't trust you. When the president decides that you're not telling the truth or that he's telling you things in confidence that you're then repeating, he's going to cut you off. The press is going to pay no attention to you if they find out that you're not truthful. Sarah was not truthful, and she was not truthful on a regular basis. And she's the only one that I know of that ever had to go in under oath and admit she wasn't truthful. Uh, And the only reason she would tell the truth was being faced with some jail time. That says something about the character. I've been out of the White House for almost 20 years. I have never said a negative word about a White House press secretary. It is a hard job. There are some I've liked. There are some I haven't liked. There are some I thought have done a great job. There are some I've thought have done a miserable job. But there had been a code of it's a hard job. Leave them alone. Let them do their job. What 
Sarah Sanders and the Trump administration did, and Sean Spicer to some extent started, is so wrong, is so different, is so antithetical to our democracy. I felt no other choice but to speak out. I don't enjoy it because I know what it feels like to sit in that office and be criticized. doesn't feel great. I wouldn't have taken it well from my predecessors, but this is different. This is unique, and this is a challenge to our democracy, and it has to be pointed out. Let me make one final point on the failings. The press and the president always have um, contentious relationships. But one of the things that Sarah Sanders did is she helped normalize this idea that the press is the enemy of the people. And you cannot overestimate the damage that does to the democratic institutions that we rely on, uh, that many of which are under attack from Trump, but also to the rest of the world. You know, you've now got leaders of other countries, emerging democracies, saying things like it's fake news and these reporters are the enemy of the people. We are a model. We should be a model for the rest of the world for how democracy should work. And Sarah Sanders played an important and visible role in modeling the worst behavior possible for an emerging democracy. And this isn't some esoteric issue. This is in our interest The world is stronger when democracy flourishes. The world is weaker when authoritarian governments flourish. And we are sending the message on a daily basis that the press doesn't have a role and it's the authority of the leader comes from the leader and the cult of the leader, not from the support of the people with the press being in the middle as their proxy. After your column on Thursday, on Sunday, you wrote a longer column for CNN entitled After Sarah Sanders, we need a real press secretary. One of the roles of the press secretary you define in your column is senior internal investigative reporter inside the White House. Explain what you mean by that. One of the reasons why sometimes a reporter doing the job is good at is because you need those skills. Let me give you a couple of categories. There's a lot of competing agendas in the White House. Take this White House and take trade. If you went to just Peter Navarro, the trade hawk and said, Peter, where are we on this trade issue with China? He would give you what he thinks is an honest answer. And then if you walk down the hallway into Larry Kudlow's office and said, Larry, where are we on this trade issue? He would give you what he thought was an honest answer and they'd be different. And the job of the press secretary is to sort of synthesize and talk to enough people to figure out Okay, here we are. And then ultimately, and the press secretary doesn't decide anything, so what I would do was walk into the chief of staff's office and say, okay, here's where I think we're coalescing around. Peter will agree with this part. Larry will agree with this part. So I think this is what the line is. And the chief of staff most of the times would give the okay or he might change it. On some issues, he'd say, we have to take this to the president. And we'd walk down the hallway and ask the president, depending on how important the issue was or how nuanced and political the issue was. You also have players who have their own agenda. There are times where let's take our White House now. Say Peter Navarro, who is, you know, a trade hawk and a tariff hawk, he just might tell you things that aren't true because he knows that will help promote his agenda. You have to be able to go around and verify things because otherwise you're just hot. You're held hostage to whoever you talk to. So I had experience with people who honestly thought they were telling me the truth, who weren't. They were giving me a piece of it. And I had experiences with people who knew they were telling me a lie for their own purposes. And I had to go and make sure 
that I had the whole story and that I didn't lie on their behalf. Because trust me, when the story about the press secretary lying came out the next day, the guy who lied to me wasn't going to raise his hand and said, I told him that. Some of it's self-preservation, but it's, it's really an important element of the job. Another role you define in the column is chief risk management officer. How does that work? There's a phrase of seeing around the corner, seeing where a story is going before even the media knows it's going there. It's a skill that's hard to describe. When a reporter asks you a question, you not only know what question he's asked, you know why he's asked it because you know where he's going with the follow-up. So your first answer has to anticipate the second and third question. Otherwise, the reporters who are all very bright will have boxed you into a, a corner. Tough um, job. No, it's, it, it is. But, it, I mean, it's not, it is not brain surgery. But it requires a certain way of thinking. The second part of it is getting the president ready to do the same thing. And I don't get the sense that this happens in the Trump administration. But every time Bill Clinton, who by any measure, whether you love him or you hate him, is a great communicator. He just has a way of talking not in fancy language, but in language that people understand and get the sense that they're, he's talking to them. It's a gift. But every time he went out, even when he was not supposed to take questions, we would do a session with him. And I would just say, here are the three questions I think you'll get. I know you're not taking questions today. And then I'd roll my eyes because I knew he wanted to and was going to. And we'd go through and I'd say, you know, Mr. President, what do you think about gas prices going up 5% in the last week? He'd give an answer and we'd, we'd talk about it. And we'd adjust it. One of the important jobs for me was to be an agitator because your first answer in politics, not the best answer because your first answer is emotional. (laughs) And, you know, I would go in and if you think reporters can ask a hard question, you should see how I learned how to ask questions to know every button to push. And on some of this political stuff, particularly when your president is being investigated, you just go in and he would take your head off and give the answer and I would stop and pause and say, that's a, that's a really good answer. I have a suggestion about a different way to answer that question, if you're willing to listen. And he'd kind of laugh and say, okay. And then we'd talk through. That's great. You feel that way about it. Now let's talk about how you're going to answer the question to not make things worse than they are. So it really is understanding from a media point of view, where are the roadblocks? Where are the hurdles? Where's the risk? What's the risk of saying this versus saying that and it playing out over the long term? Again, I'm just sitting looking from the outside. I generally think the this White House does it the other way, which is Trump says whatever he wants and they run around behind it trying to mitigate or explain. And they've almost given up on explaining. Sean Spicer you know, finally realized that the way he could save himself was with the following phrase, the tweet speaks for itself. The president tweeted this morning that the sun rose in the West. And Sean's answer would be, the tweet speaks for itself. Does the president believe the sun actually rose in the West because it did rise in the East? The tweet speaks for itself. It was a point of survival, in some ways slightly humiliating for him to do that, but it was better than lying. This is a just a personal point of looking at it. Sean always looked uncomfortable when he knew he was crossing the line. Sarah seemed happy to jump over that line and repeat whatever the president said. And that's, it had consequences for her and for the country. And going forward, it has consequences for how our whole system works. And 
I, I certainly hope that we make a change in the Oval and the next person's committed to doing things like we did them back in the day. Right. You talk about uh, pushing back on President Clinton's answer and, and having to tell him, here's an alternative route, which I'm sure wasn't the easiest job in the world. But the way you characterize that role in the column is the important role of speaking truth to power. And do you think that that is even possible in a Trump White House? I don't know that anybody's tried, but I don't know. No one's really addressed that in a credible way. There's a little bit in Woodward's book that credits some of his sources with saying they pushed back on the president. Again, I think that's probably what Gary Cohn and uh, Rob Porter want the world to believe. Whether they pushed back or not, I don't know. But let's take the press secretary. I don't think either of the his press secretaries were inclined to speak truth to power. The press secretary has, serves a lot of different functions, but one of them is, you know, it's like the guy, you know, from A Few Good Men who's standing post. They're, they are the f- person who's going to see the incoming. They are the first person that's going to see something, some threat. And you have to be able to immediately address it. I'll give you an example, which is a little off point, but the day the president was impeached, uh, December 19th, 1998, a remarkable thing happened on the floor of the House. Bob Livingston, the speaker designate, stood up and said, I had an affair. It was wrong. I resign. On the day the president is being impeached, newsflash, my guy wasn't resigning. And it was just like one of those moments where if you weren't paying attention, you might sit around and say, let's just see how this plays out. I knew this was a crisis of all crises if we didn't handle it. I didn't have to go through 15 people to figure out where the president was. I walked over to the office, walked right in and said, we've got to deal with this. There were a couple other people who came in and within five minutes, I was standing on the driveway giving people the president's reaction, which kind of broke the fever on all of this. The president didn't, when I walked in and told him this, he didn't immediately say, oh, let's go do a press conference. It was important to say, we have to nip this in the bud here. And I ended up saying, oddly, while we were waiting for John Podesta, the chief of staff, to come over, I, I just said to him, what do you think? Like, let's, not, let's, we'll, let's wait for John to figure out what our answer is. What do you think? And he started to talk, and I just started writing it down. And when John came in, I said, John, this is what he just told me. I think this is what our answer should be. And he was like, yeah. And I said to the president, are you okay with this? And five minutes later, it was on TV. So, You actually took notes in an interview? I thought you didn't write anything down. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. I still have that note someplace. <laughs> Presidential hey, Records Act. Hey, hey, Ken, hey, Ken Starr, I still have it. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's ju- let's look ahead at, at what happens next here because we know we haven't had a Secretary of Defense in six months. And given that fact, do you think the president is going to replace her or just put someone in as acting until the end of his term? What do you think is going to happen? Gidley, I guess, is going to be the acting press secretary, and they'll, they'll move at their own pace. I, you know, I think the president thinks of himself as his own press secretary, so it could move quickly. I think the New York Times reporting is probably pretty accurate that he wants a woman there, that he thinks that's the right optics. There are a variety of people. The first lady's press secretary, someone that the president trusts, the new State Department spokesperson, fits the bill, former Fox analyst. The important question is, will they allow the press secretary to serve the traditional role that I've just been talking about? That was my next question. Ah, we're starting to get this, (laughs) aren't we, Katie? And I think that's highly unlikely. The guy's, what, 72 years old now? I just don't see him changing his ways. 
I don't think he thinks he's doing anything wrong. I think he believes that everyone else is letting him down and he's the one carrying all the water. To the extent that anything's working, it's because he's doing it. So I don't expect any change. I think the real test will be the next president, whether it be in 2021 or 2025, what lessons they'll draw from Trump. There is a possibility they will draw the lesson that the way to communicate is to stiff the traditional press and just use social media or the other way. I hope it's the alternative. I hope it's the way it's been done for a long time because that's the right way. And finally, the burning question on everyone's mind, will the Joe Lockhart shadow briefing continue on Twitter in the meantime? The shadow briefing? You mean the thing that's now with the albatross around my neck that I have to do every day? It's a commitment. Yeah, it's a commitment. Yes, they will, because there's no reason to believe that briefings will start right away. Even if they do, there's no reason to believe that truth will be told at them. So right now, the purpose of it is to surface the questions. That, that the White House is avoiding. I use lots of license in the answers. The answers are there to make my friends laugh or make my friends cry, depending on their point of view. If they start the briefings again, I'm going to focus more on critiquing their answers because I think it needs to be done. All right. Well, we'll see what happens next in the saga of the White House press secretary. But for now, thanks for joining us on this special edition of Words Matter. Thank you for listening to Words Matter. Please rate and review Words Matter on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers.